This podcast is the ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Rosemont, Georgia. For more information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Father, we just thank you again for the opportunity to worship, for the opportunity just to come before the throne of grace and sing praises to your name. We're thankful again for the freedom to worship, Lord, for a church that loves you and is willing to serve you, Father, and for the ministries of this church. And I'm just so thankful for this time together, Lord, as we just kind of bask in your grace, Lord, and just kind of sit at your feet and ponder your glory and your holiness and your love and your strength and your grace and your mercy and all the things you've given us all the blessings of life. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, for taking your wrath, for standing in our place, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins, and then offering us eternal life. We're thankful. Lord, for the next few moments as we study your word, we pray for clarity. We pray for understanding. We pray that, Lord, I would rightly divide the word of truth. And then we pray, Lord, that we would take what we've learned. We would apply it to our lives. And through the power of your word in our hearts, Lord, we'd be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, Memorial Day weekend is a very interesting weekend for me because it always reminds me of all the things God has given us. It reminds me of all the blessings of life and all the things he's, he's bestowed upon our country. And I'm so thankful for the men and women that have given their lives for our freedom. I'm so thankful for the men and women that give of their time and their energy and their lives today to stand on that line for us so we can enjoy that freedom. One of, the, one of my most favorite Memories of going to Washington, D.C. is going to the Korean War Memorial. If you've ever been to the Vietnam War Memorial, the, the Great Wall, on the other side of the National Mall, actually on the other side of the reflecting pool, is the Korean War Memorial. And on that war memorial, there's this phrase etched in granite that says, Freedom is not free. Whew, that's powerful. You know, there are men and women who've given their lives for this country. I, I majored in history, and so I enjoy studying history, and I Joy reading books about history. And one of my favorite books I've ever read is called Flags of Our Fathers. Some of you guys have probably seen that movie. I re- I've never seen the movie. I read the book a number of years ago. And it's about Iwo Jima. It's about the battle for Iwo Jima. And it's about the men. If you've ever seen the, the Marine Memorial, the flag, the guys, you know, are raising the flag. That's the top of Mount Suribachi there uh, in Iwo Jima, on Iwo Jima. And a tiny little island in the Pacific, but a very strategic location in America, sent literally thousands and thousands and thousands of troops. There were literally thousands and thousands and thousands of Japanese troops entrenched on that island. And it's an amazing book. It recounts the story of those men that raised that flag. And it recounts the the victory and the triumph and the glory of that moment. But it also recounts the defeat and the the desperation and and the, the hurt of some of these men that came back and lost friends or 
lost a portion of their lives there on that island. As I think back about that book and as I think back about this holiday and Memorial Day and all it reminds us of, I think about the people that lost. I think about the people that have given up something. I think about the people that have, that have lost heart and have had suffering in their lives and all the things they have to deal with. And then I think about our suffering now. And I think about the things that we deal with and the, the desperation sometimes of, of our lives and, and, and how sometimes it's very difficult for us and how we lose heart oftentimes in the things that we do, don't we? And we get discouraged and we despair over things. And as I think about that, I, I'm reminded of our spiritual lives and how easy it is to feel defeated and how easy it is to, 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 to lose heart and to become discouraged in all the things that we try to deal with. And, and in our spiritual lives, when we become discouraged, it kind of looks like this for us. God, I don't think I can witness to that person. God, I don't, I don't think I can go on that mission trip. God, surely you can't use me to accomplish your will. And we become discouraged and we, and we lose heart in our Christian walk and in our journey with Christ. Well, the Apostle Paul, who we are familiar with, and we're going to study some things that he wrote this morning. The Apostle Paul and all that he accomplished and all that he did dealt with disappointment. And he dealt with discouragement, and he talked specifically about losing heart in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open with us this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to study this passage of Scripture this morning, and we've entitled the sermon, Don't Lose Heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't miss all that God is trying to do in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And as we examine this text, I want to remind you a little bit about who Paul was. Paul was a very uh, well-trained religious leader, a Pharisee, in fact. He was a Jewish man and understood the Jewish laws and the Jewish customs. And Paul made it the work of his life to try to kill Christians. That's what he did. So he would travel around from village to village and he would round up these Christians and he would put them in jail. He would torture them. He would oftentimes execute them, stone them. He did all sorts of things to Christians to try to stop Christianity from growing and spreading all around the world. But God did an incredible work in Paul's life on the road to Damascus. You may remember the story. A bright light shone from heaven and Paul was blinded. God said, Saul, Paul, why do you persecute me? He was radically saved and he accepted Jesus Christ. And from that moment forward, Paul's life was different. He began to go on missionary journeys, went to three missionary journeys. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. He preached everywhere he had the opportunity to preach. But here's the interesting thing about Paul's life. He did all of this in the context of serving Christ. See, Paul wasn't a passive Christian. Paul didn't sit at home and write these letters about how people should live. He actually lived it. Paul didn't write to Timothy and say, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Paul was actually preaching the word. Paul didn't talk about discouragement and losing heart from the comfort of his own home. Paul talked about discouragement and losing heart in the middle of being shipwrecked, in the middle of being stoned, in the middle of being beaten, in the middle of being imprisoned, in the middle of dealing with starvation and being hated by men. Paul understood this idea of discouragement. And so he talks very clearly in 2 Corinthians 4 about discouragement and not, in the midst of all that God has done for us, losing heart. So we're going to examine 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, that's always an important word. Therefore, all the things God you've done for us, and all the things Paul's going to talk about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 through 3, God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, His power. Therefore, 
since through God's mercy we have this ministry. Now, this ministry is God's call to preach the word. You need to understand that. Again, Paul wasn't passive. This ministry is Paul's call to preach the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. So, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now, there's the foundation for the message this morning. Because of all that God has done for us, because of all that God has given us, because of the grace and the mercy and the love and the power of Christ working in our hearts, we do not lose heart. Now, Paul's going to give us some reasons. Verse 2. Rather, we have renounced the secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception. Nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, we're going to stop there for just a second. There are three truths that we want to pull from this scripture and from the scriptures that follow that indicate to us why we shouldn't lose heart. Based on everything God has done for us, based on God's mercy and based on God's grace and based on God's love and power in our lives, we shouldn't lose heart. And the first truth we see here, Paul teaching, is that we don't lose heart, number one, because we have the truth. We don't lose heart because we have the truth. Now, Paul talks about truth in this passage of Scripture in verse 2, and here's what he says. He says, we have renounced the secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. We don't distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, we know the truth, and because we know the truth, we shouldn't despair. We shouldn't be discouraged. We shouldn't lose heart. Paul says there's a number of things that other people do when they try to convince us of lies. They they do shameful things, he says. They do things in secret. They use deception. They distort the Word of God. But Paul says we're not going to do those things. We're not going to try to trick people. We're not going to try to distort what's said. We're not going to try to try to lie to somebody to get them to do what we want them to do. Instead, Paul says, we're going to teach the truth. And because we teach that truth, we're not going to lose heart. Now, I want to tell you something that may surprise some of you. I think most of you are probably going to be clear on this. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Believe it or not, there are people in our world that want to lie to you. Do you know that? That's a shock for some of you, I know, right? There are people in our world that want to deceive you. They want to trick you into believing things that aren't necessarily true. And so there are all sorts of scams that, that, that people come up with to try to trick you into doing things you don't necessarily want to do. One of the scams that we see now a lot, and I actually saw it this week on my emails, you'll get an email. The email will say something like this. There's this very wealthy man in another country who just died. Or you've got these. I, say, I can tell by your expression, right? He just died, and he left $30 million, and he wants to give it to some fund and some organization that he thinks he can trust, and he picked you. And he wants to give you $30 million. All you have to do is send us a check for $1,000, That'll cover all the attorney fees and all the bank transactions. You send us that check for $1,000, and then next week in your, in your account will be $30 million. Now, you know full well if you send them that 1000 bucks, you are never seeing that money again, right? You understand that? It's a scam. They've updated it a little bit. They're getting a little better at it. So the scam now is they literally will steal and break into your email account. Have you seen one of these? I got an email last week from a member of our church from his email address signed by his name, and here's what it said. Hey, I went out of the country for business. I was injured and somebody stole my wallet and all my money. I need about $1,000 to get a ticket home, to get my passport back, to get cab fare, and to eat a couple meals. As soon as I get back Monday morning, I'll come to your office and give you a check. And it was signed by this guy from our church. 
Now, I knew he wasn't out of the country, so we called him. We said, look, somebody's broken into your email, right? I'm trying to get you to send money. But there, there are people in the world that want to trick us. Now, see, so you say, well, how do they learn to trick us? Where does this come from? Well, well, the devil is the author of lies, right? We know that. He intentionally tries to trick us because he knows if he can trick us, if he can move us away from the truth, then we're not going to focus on the things of God. Now, we see this at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. You don't have to flip back, but I want to read it to you. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, the serpent, that's the devil was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Now listen to what the devil says in verse 4. You will not surely die. See, from the beginning, he's tricking her into believing a lie. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, when we believe a lie, here's what it ultimately does. It separates us from the things of God. It separates us from Christ. And so the devil wants to use people to trick us and to deceive us and to take the word of God and to oftentimes trick us. But Paul says, we're not going to do that. We're not going to lose heart. We're not going to become discouraged because we're not going to believe those lies. Instead, we're going to believe the truth. Now listen to what he says beginning in verse 3. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So he says the devil has tricked these people. He's he's, he's blinded these people's vision so they can't see the truth and said they see the light. Now verse 5. For we, this is Paul, we do not preach ourselves But we preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul says, you know what, there are people who are going to trick you. There are people who are going to lie to you. There are people who are going to not know the truth because the devil has put a veil over their face and over the gospel. And they can't see the light. They're living in the darkness. But Paul says, we don't need to lose heart because we have the truth. See, when you know the truth, you kind of know how things are going to turn out, don't you? Now, if you've ever experienced this, you're going to know what I'm talking about. But maybe, guys, you've had this opportunity where you wanted to see a football game like a Saturday afternoon, your favorite college team, but there's something else going on during that day, you know, and you can't sit at home and watch the game. And so you record the game, right? You video the game. Used to, it was the old VHS tape. Now, it's, you know, you do it digitally on your computer. You record the game, and you have this plan that when you get home, you're going to watch that game. And you're going to see the outcome of that game, and you're going to see exactly what happened with that game. But here's the problem. Before you can get home, somebody tells you the score, right? Have you ever done that? And you really didn't want to know the score. You wanted to watch the game and be excited, but now you know the score. Now, here's the difference. If you go home and you don't know the score the outcome of that game, you're nervous when you watch the game, aren't you? You're, oh, wow, what's going to happen? You're you're cheering, and you don't know how it's going to turn out, and you're excited, and you're happy, or maybe you're frustrated, and all these emotions swirl as you watch this game. But if you know the outcome, guess what? And you can relax when you watch the game, can't you? Because you know how it's going to turn out. And so the opening kickoff, the team kicks off to you, and your kick returner muffs, and he drops the ball, and the other team scoops it up and runs it in for a touchdown. If you didn't know the outcome, you're, you're upset at this point, right? How could he drop the ball, right? I mean, how could he do this? And we're already behind the touchdown. But if you already know the outcome, guess what? You can kind of relax. Oh, wow, that's an interesting way to start the game. I wonder how we're going to overcome that. I don't want what's going to happen next. It becomes a different scenario for you when you know the truth, when you know the outcome. Paul says we know the truth. 
We know the outcome. We know exactly what God's going to do. We know exactly what Christ is going to do in our lives. Jesus Christ in John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Because we know the truth, because we know exactly what Christ is going to do, we have victory. And because we have victory, we don't lose heart. Secondly, as we move on in verse 7, the Bible says we have this treasure in jars of clay. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. Here's the second thing we notice. Not only do we not become discouraged because we have the truth, but secondly, we don't become discouraged, we don't lose heart because we have God's all-surpassing power. We don't need to become discouraged. We don't need to lose heart in our Christian walk because we, because we have God's all-surpassing power in our lives. He says it right there. He talks about the treasures and he talks about jars of clay and he talks about this all-surpassing power that's from God and not from ourselves. Now here's what we need to understand about this power. We get this mindset sometimes that we can do all these things. I've got to do this, right? I've got to share and, and I've got to witness and I've got to go. And certainly there's a part that you have to do. But in this passage of Scripture... As we see what God does in our heart, we, we understand that God works through us, right? He gives us the strength to accomplish the things that He's called us to accomplish. But He uses this very interesting phrase here. He talks about treasures in jars of clay. Now let's think through that just for a minute because it's an interesting phrase when you begin to consider what a jar of clay is and what a treasure is. A jar of clay is, is kind of this fragile, unimportant item that, you know, if you dropped it and broke, it's really not that big of a deal. It's just a jar of clay. It's a pretty common item. But Paul says, for whatever reason, God has chosen to place the treasure, the treasure of his ministry and the treasure of the glory of God in these jars of clay. Now, it doesn't make sense to us, does it? Because if we've got a treasure, we're going to put it somewhere secure. We're going to put it somewhere where it won't break, somewhere that it can be protected and, and nobody can get to it. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C. and you've gone to the National Archives and you've seen the Declaration of Independence Constitution. Anybody ever seen that? In the National Archives? A few of the, if you walk in the National Archives, you can actually see the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Now, here's what you're not going to see when you walk into the National Archives. If you stopped at the front desk and said, hey, I'd like to see the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, they're not going to say this. Oh, okay. Well, we've got it rolled up with a rubber band around it and it's in a jar on a shelf in the back room. Just walk, help yourself. Walk on back there, take the jar off the shelf, take it out, unroll it, and take a look at it. Pass it around to your friends. They don't say that. Why? Because the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are treasures. They're extremely important. And so when you walk into the National Archives in Washington, D.C., the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are in this glass case. This glass bulletproof case. There's these two big guards on both sides of the case. They're protecting it. They're making sure you don't do anything crazy when you're up there. And then at night... This vault, this thing that the glass, of bulletproof glass and all this metal goes down into the ground and is covered up and protected. And they say it's earthquake proof. If a bomb were to hit it, it wouldn't destroy. Nobody can break in and steal it. Why? Because it's a treasure. And we see this interesting phrase here that God has placed this treasure in jars of clay that are very fragile. Now here's what we have to understand about this analogy. We're the jars of clay, right? We're the jars of clay. God's treasure is His power and His mercy in our lives. So in order to display His power, in order for us to see exactly who He is in our weak and frail lives, God places power in us. 
And so we read in verses 8 and 9, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed, right? We understand that in our lives, don't we? We're hard-pressed, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. God says, I'm going to take this weak vessel. I'm going to take this weak human vessel that's like a jar of clay. It's fragile, and it can be broken and destroyed very easily. And I'm going to place within that vessel my glory. And I'm going to place within that vessel my love And I'm going to use that vessel to do incredible things. And we say, why would God do that? And he does that in verse 7 to show us his all-surpassing power. Now see, here's here's what that means for us in our current world. If we're the jars of clay, which I think we are in this analogy, and God has placed within us this all-surpassing power, what does that mean for us now? What does that mean for us at Rosemont Baptist Church? Here's what it means very simply. It means that through God's power working in our lives, we're going to be victorious. So whatever God has called us to do, he's given us the power to do it. You understand that? Whatever God wants us to accomplish, he's given us the strength and the power to do those things. Acts 1.8 paints a real clear picture of this power. I'm going to be preaching all summer on missions, and I'm really excited about this sermon series. And this is the first sermon I'm going to preach on. Because Acts 1.8 kind of sets out the vision for the New Testament church. Here's what Acts 1.8 says. It's Christ speaking to his disciples just before he ascends into heaven. Here's what he says. You, speaking to the, his, his followers, will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you, because of this power, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. God says, I'm going to give you this all-surpassing power. I'm going to put it in this weak vessel I'm going to use it to reach the nations. And because of the power that I've given you, you don't need to lose heart. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be in despair or concern because God has given us the power to do the things he's called us to do. And so at Rosemont, when we start talking about worldwide missions and we start talking about sending teams to different parts of the world, whether it's Central America or Europe or maybe to Africa or Asia, and we start talking about reaching these people for Christ, you don't have to wonder if we can actually do it because we can. Why? Because God's power lives in us. As we talk about reaching people for Christ and baptizing people and discipling people in this area and in this region and around the world, you don't have to wonder if we can do it because we can through God's power living in us. But here's what we do oftentimes. God, I'm just not sure that that's right. (laughs) I mean, I'm just not sure that you can actually do these things in me. I'm just not sure that I can actually reach these people or I can share my testimony or go on these trips. And see, here's the problem. We miss God's power in our lives, don't we? We miss what he's doing in our hearts and we, we miss the wonder of who he is and how he can work in and through us and accomplish all these things for him And we compare the teachings of Scripture and we contrast that with our fear and with our weakness. And we ask God, please forgive us. Forgive us for not recognizing your power. Forgive us for not recognizing all you can do in our hearts, Lord. And and use that power and use that strength in these jars of clay so that we can be victorious. So that we can win. So that we can reach the world for you. Paul says you don't need to lose heart. Number one, because you have the truth. Number two, because you have God's all-surpassing Power. Now look at verse 16. Therefore, Paul says, we do not lose heart. He said it again. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Paul says we don't lose hope because, number one, we have the truth. We don't lose hope, number two, because we have God's all-surpassing power. And number three, finally, we don't lose hope because we have correct perspective. We don't lose hope because we have correct perspective. Now, earlier in this passage of Scripture, Paul has talked about faith. And I haven't talked this morning about faith. You could go back and read verse 13 where Paul talks about faith and the importance of faith. But Hebrews 11.1 reminds us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See, the essence of faith is focusing on the unseen. Paul says we need to focus on the unseen in order to have the correct perspective. If we're going to live for Christ and do the things He's called us to do and not lose our heart and and not lose all the things He wants us to become and and not become discouraged, if we're going to do all these things, we need to have the right perspective on life. But here's the thing about perspective. It changes, doesn't it? Depending on who you are and where you live and even your age, perspective changes. I'll give you two very quick examples. Your perspective of children changed when you had children, didn't it? Right? Your perspective of children was totally different before you had children. Now, if you're a grandparent, your perspective of children changed after you became a grandparent, didn't it? Depending on how old you are and in your season of life, your perspective is different. I'll give you another example. If I were to give my children $100, they would think they were rich, right? If I gave them $100, I could just see the wheels turning in their brain, going to Walmart, what am I going to buy, what kind of toys, can I, how much candy can I eat, right? I just see, see their wheels turning. For them, $100 and they are rich. To you and me, $100 is a tank of gas, right? That's it. Maybe dinner and a movie. It's a different perspective. Here's Paul's perspective, you ready? He says that our troubles are not eternal, they're temporary. That's Paul's perspective. And if we're going to press on and not become discouraged and not lose heart, we need to understand that perspective, that the problems we have now are not that big of a deal. And instead of worrying about all the things that surround us in our lives, we need to look to eternity and see an eternal perspective on all the things that we do. Now, some of you are thinking this, Adam, you just don't know my problems. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know all the things that I'm I'm, I'm working through at work and at home and the family. I've got so many problems you just don't understand. I don't know how I can have an eternal perspective. Well, let me help you with two questions. Here's question number one. How important are your problems going to be in 100 years? Right? Really? How important are your problems going to be in 100 years? Now, here's one that's going to really hit home for you. Let me ask you a question. I want you to be totally honest. Be honest with me. How many of you in here know the name of your great-great-grandfather? Three, four, five, six, maybe. Less than 10% of you know the name of your great-great-grandfather. So here's the real truth for you, right? You think about how bad your problems are? In 100 years, there's probably nobody living on earth that will even know your name. (laughs) Right? You don't know your great-great-grandfather's name. You don't have any idea who he was. You're thankful that he was around because you're here, but you you don't know anything about him. So all the problems you face now, man, in a hundred years, they're not even going to remember your name. And yet these things that surround us, they become everything about who we are. And listen, they are important. I'm not saying they're not. We have to deal with these things and think through these things. But Paul says if we're not going to lose heart, we need to have the right perspective. We need to understand who Christ is. We need to understand that our eternal glory will outweigh the troubles that we have now. But see, we have a problem doing that, don't we? Because we're worried about the here and now. 
We're worried so much about the here and now, we can't see past tomorrow oftentimes. That's why it's so hard for, for people to kick a habit or to, to, to lose weight or to save money. Why? Because I'd rather just eat now. It's just so much easier, right? I know if I don't eat now, there's something good out there, but no, I'm not worried about that. I'm going to eat now, right? Or I know I need to save money, but I sure would like to spend this money now. And if I can spend it now, then I'll have a fun time now. I'm not worried about tomorrow. See, that's the perspective of the world we live in. We think about the here and now. Paul says that's not the perspective we need to have. If we have that perspective of the here and now only, then we will lose heart. We will not do all the things that God has called us to do. But Paul says the key is to keep the things of eternal life in the right perspective and not worry about the things of this world. When I went to Guatemala, I stayed in a little room. And the word I used to describe that little room in that seminary in Guatemala City was adequate. It was an adequate room for me. It had a door and four walls and an indoor bathroom and a roof. And that was nice. It had a little bed, one little table, a bed for my roommate. And that was it. No decorations, nothing fancy, nothing pretty. It was adequate. It gave me a place to sleep, a place to lay my head, and I was happy for it. But here's what I didn't do when I was in Guatemala. I didn't lose sleep over how I was going to redecorate that room. I didn't think to myself, well, how am I going to pick a color for this room? I just don't know. Where am I going to put my couch? Right? How am I going to fit a bed in here? And how am I going to decorate in the picture? I didn't do those things. You know why? Because that was a temporary place for me. I knew that in just a few days I would leave and I would come back to my home. I knew that I didn't need to spend all this time thinking through buying stuff and redecorating and painting and putting all this nice stuff in this room. Why? Because I wasn't going to be there very long. See, Paul says that's kind of like it is with our lives. We look at our lives as if this is eternity for us, but it's not. We're here for a short moment, literally the blink of an eye, and we're gone. And when we're gone, everything we've worked for on this earth is going to be gone as well. We're not going to take anything with us. But Paul says, if you don't want to lose heart, if you don't want to become discouraged in your Christian walk, you keep the correct perspective that where we live now is temporary and where we're going is eternal. I just wonder how our lives would change if we actually kept that in focus. I wonder how different our worship would be if we knew our eternal home was where we were going and this was just temporary. I wonder how our evangelism would change. I wonder how our service would change. I wonder how our giving would change. If we could keep the proper perspective of the eternal outweighing the temporal in our lives. If we could see that very clearly, how would our lives be different? So here's the bottom line for us as we think through our lives. God has got incredible plans for this church. But because he's got incredible plans for this church, that means he's got incredible plans for you. Why? Because you are the church, right? God wants to do amazing things in us and through us and with us. But the devil's going to do everything he can to trick us, to deceive us, to discourage us from doing the things that God has called us to do. Because he doesn't want us to be successful. He doesn't want us to reach the nations and reach the world for Jesus Christ. And it's very easy for us to lose heart. It's very easy for us to become discouraged. But Paul gives us a very clear model here in these verses. Paul says, if you'll remember that we have the truth and we know the end, we know that we're going to be victorious. Paul says, if you'll remember that we've got God's power in and through us, and if you'll remember this correct, eternal perspective, God will do incredible things in your life. You know, God wants to accomplish things through you and through this church. But here's the question we have to ask as we walk this journey of Christianity with Him through our lives. Are we going to do everything we can to let Him work and do incredible things through us. Do we trust Him enough? That's the question we have to answer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You again for Your Word. We thank You for the clarity of Your Word, Lord. We thank You for the ability to be able to study Your Word and, and to know and to understand exactly what You're 
doing and teaching, Father. We pray that we would take what you've taught. Lord, we would go home and it would, it would, Father, just continue to mold us and to transform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to not lose heart, to not become discouraged, Father. To see your truth and to see your power, Lord, and to see that eternal perspective in our lives. And we pray you would do incredible things in our church. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for just a few moments if you want to come down and spend some time in prayer at the altar. If you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you want to join this church, this is your time right now. Let's sing together. of worship and this time of study. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that you do and for everything that you're going to do. Be with us this week, Lord. May we be godly examples for the people around us. May we share our faith. May we experience that truth and that power and that perspective in our lives, Father. And may we make a difference and further your kingdom in all the things we say and do. Guide us and direct us, Lord. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week. Randy Presley's down here now with Hannah. If you want to meet him, Or from 2 until 5 this afternoon, the fellowship hall, come by and see him. Have a great week. We'll see you back next Sunday. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.